My name is Alana. And I'm Jessie. And we are making Menches. Tonight is the first episode of our August series where we're going to be having conversations with fellow anti-Zionist Jews um, from all different journeys and paths that brought them to their current beliefs. Um, And so without any more of me talking, I want to introduce our interviewee. So if you could share your name, pronouns, um, what you do, and then also what your favorite holiday, Jewish holiday is and why. Sure. Yeah. Thank you guys again for having me. Um, My name is Evan Cole. My pronouns are he, him, and I work for the MBA in social media. Um, I'm very passionate about fighting for racial and economic justice for marginalized groups, as well as reading and learning about the struggle of oppressed people, uh, particularly those who aren't really highlighted in our education system and mainstream media. Um, My family no longer really observes that many Jewish holidays, but I'd probably say my favorite's Rosh Hashanah because uh, apples with honey is a fantastic snack. Oh my God, hot take. Okay, love that. You're not wrong. I love apples with honey. It's a perfect snack. It's a classic. Uh, before we go any further, do you identify as an anti-Zionist Jew? I do. Um, I also do want to make a point of like clarification here, if that's okay. That's um, cool. Yeah. So like, I feel like since a statement like this automatically gets a lot of people to just like simply tune out or whatever, um, I just kind of want to reiterate that like Zionism is like inextricably attached to how Jewish settlements and eventually the state of Israel have come to be in reality. Um, It's not really some ideal where we can establish peace for Jews without forming a settler colony. Like, this is what's happened. Like, the goals of Zionism have been stated since the uh, 1800s and more or less played out as realistically intended by its modern founders. Um, It is true, um, obviously, that Jews were under existential danger in Europe around this time and obviously clearly evidenced by the Holocaust nearly 70 years after the point. Um, But it's also clear that there was still... er, it's still clear that there's a need for safety for Jewish people. However, um, this still doesn't give any legitimacy to a movement that sought to essentially turn its genocidal rhetoric onto another native population. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think that's a really important caveat. And I feel like I tell, whenever I tell anyone that that's how I identify, I feel like that's the caveat that I want to include for myself. Just like a little asterisk to just be like, Right. Yeah. Because I mean, otherwise, people won't really understand how to engage. Um, Yeah. Sorry, just removing this weird burner account in our comments. I mean, honestly, it plays into the whole theme of discussing how dehumanization works. Um, and mm-hmm. Does that play? Um, so Perfect. Yeah. Um, well, they're blocked, so they'll be gone, unfortunately. But it is very be easy to dehumanize on the internet and pretend that we're not talking to real people. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, what's your relationship to Judaism? How has it changed over time? And if you have one. Yeah, um, I would say that my relationship to Judaism is like a little bit complicated. um, And it's definitely changed over time. Um, I've always like unwaveringly seen myself as Jewish. However, um, like in terms of like official things, like I've dropped out of Hebrew school twice growing up. (laughs) Um, 
the first because I didn't really want to go to school after school in elementary school. Um, I didn't fully understand like the utility and purpose of it or whatever. Um, and then the second because like right on the brink of preparing for my uh, bar mitzvah, I didn't feel like I was really prepared and my rabbi was kind of rushing me through the lessons. So just I kind of wanted to avoid that. Um, so while I never really fulfilled my Jewish education in Temple, um, I still hold my Jewish identity close to me because uh, there really isn't much uh, knowledge of my heritage other than that, if that makes sense. Um, like my family's probably been displaced countless times across Eastern Europe. Um, so there's nothing that really resonates with me except for really being a white Jew in the tri-state area. Um, and I'm really proud that that is a community that does value me and accepts me. Um, additionally, I will also add that your series last month was fantastic on Jewish values and how they can be interpreted um, in relation to anti-Zionism. Um, that definitely helped reconnect my, my sense of spirit towards Judaism um, in another way that I hadn't really seen before. Wow. Makes it sound like we told him to say that. We did not. <laughs> I didn't know that he was going to say that at all. No, uh, legitimately. No, we, we, we came in here <laughs> waiting for surprises. Yeah, nothing. So, um, I'm so curious, Evan, because uh, for me, I don't remember Alana's uh, starting point, but for me, my anti-Zionist journey began at Hebrew school. So I'm curious to know, can you talk about your journey a little bit to anti-Zionism or just your first understanding of Zionism really from the other point of view or from the Jewish Zionist point of view. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. Um, I'll start like a little bit back before I even began questioning because I think that it's important to like maintain that context and broader understanding of things uh, with any issue as well as one as important as this one. Um, uh, I'll start in high school. Um, so my general perception of Israel at the time uh, was I was like this little lone brave democracy in the Middle East or whatever. Um, if I, if I refer to the region moving forward, I'll just say West Asia. Um, I know that some people from the area prefer that, so I'll go with that. Um, but I attended two different sleepaway camps growing up, and the first one I went to had this program where uh, you could go to Israel for five weeks instead of spending eight weeks at the regular camp before you enter 10th grade. And I wanted to attend this program, like, extremely badly because um, it just seemed like an awesome vacation with my friends. I wasn't really thinking much of it other than that. Um, like, the history of the country and the region didn't really – excite me that much um so but ultimately my parents wouldn't let me go uh due to concern for my safety um and in, in retrospect obviously i'm not really that upset about it but um <laughs> i i wound up switching sleepaway camps as well and wound up making some best friends for life um as for like my journey toward anti-zionism um i'd say that probably really began once i was in college um because at that point i was like starting to grapple a little bit with the settler colonial foundation of the United States um, and its genocide of black and indigenous people um, that kind of felt necessary to, or no, that was necessary to construct this country as it is today. Um, so that's probably where the seeds of the journey were laid. Um, and I'd say the first moment that like, kind of like woke my brain up to that um, was seeing the vitriol and just nastiness in response to uh, Colin Kaepernick and his protest to the national anthem. Um, that, that was like the first thing where I was like, okay, why are these people being so rude to him? And as a result, I kind of like read into what he was saying. And then that started to resonate with me a little. And I started to look a little bit further because I realized I hadn't had everything figured out essentially. Um, 
I'd say that my beliefs took a little bit more radical turn in like a general sense, probably following the the COVID pandemic reaching the U.S. and then the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, that's when I really came to a conclusion that in the U.S. at least, nothing's really capable of being permanently and sustainably changed for the better, in my opinion, uh, within the systems that we live in. So we got to kind of look toward some greater answers there. Um, sorry for that really long-winded backstory. Um, but now I'll get more directly in relation to Zionism. Um, so like around this point in my life, which is like sophomore year of college, um, I wasn't really thinking much of Zionism or Israel since there were so many like deeply rooted issues that I took like very seriously here. Um, though there was like one little anecdote that kind of stood out to me at the time. Um, I remember it was the Trump administration. There was news of some like peace deal between Israel, Saudi Arabia, and some other like repressive regimes in the area. Um, and a friend of mine basically sent an article of it to me, assuming that I'd be in favor of it because it involved Israel getting something done. And like personally, like I felt very patronized and belittled in my beliefs because it was just very shallow. And like, frankly, there was a little bit of an anti-Semitic undertone to it because they just assumed I inherently supported what Israel doing was doing because I'm Jewish and they're Israel. Um, I found it kind of staggering how many American Jews were more focused on a place halfway across the world than like tangible and violent issues occurring right here. Um, and I still, I still do feel that way, though that's not exactly the point I'm trying to make here. Um, getting back to like the main thing, I'd say I first began to like really focus and critically examine the issue of settler colonialism in Israel uh, when there began to be like news coverage of the forced evictions in Sheikh Jarrah, a uh, neighborhood in the West Bank. Um, there were a couple of videos that went viral that really like kind of like put my thoughts into perspective and accelerated my outrage on the situation. The first was some like white guy from Brooklyn arguing with the Palestinian family in the neighborhood. And he like directly says them like there was a direct quote, if I don't take your home, someone else will. And that kind of very effectively revealed everything for what it was <laughs> to me in that moment. Um, and then the second was Mohammed Al-Kurd, who's Palestinian and from Chef Jarrah, um, really brilliant person. Um, he had an appearance on CNN where the question was posed as evictions. And his response to that was saying that, um, he was adamant on not calling it evictions, but instead like forced ethnic cleansing, um, ethnic displacement. And that point really struck with me as well, because I think that oftentimes the way that these things are covered, um, they use very passive language to kind of downplay all the, the magnitude and the seriousness of events that are going on. Um, and this definitely helped me better take into account the underlying determinant of race and ethnicity uh, that was at the forefront of all this. Um, and better position my understanding of the situation as this being essentially like an ethnostate illegally uh, attempting to extend its already stolen territory. Um, that main point struck with me is something that indicated to me, uh, much like my own learning about the history of the U.S. and Black and Indigenous populations and their plight here, um, that I needed to do the reading on how we got to the point, this point in Israel um, or Palestine. Um, the IDF siege of Gaza in the following month in May um, only further really solidified my sense of urgency to getting to know everything that was happening in the area. Um, I'd say that like, and then like I'll get a little bit into my journey um, of education, like even in the beginning of reading into the history of Zionism and the state of Israel, um, one thing that stood out to me was just how staggeringly recent all of this history was, um, similar to American history. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we're really raised to implicitly believe that the systems we live in are kind of eternal and this is how humanity will live for the rest of its existence. Um, 
but I feel that once that myth is broken, it's really easy to recognize that things do not have to be this way. Um, but that's really a holdup in a lot of people's thoughts. Um, and understandably so. Like, I fell victim to that as well growing up. So it's not like I'm holding contempt for people who think that way. It's just more understanding the popularity of how this can get ingrained in people and how this dynamic works. Um, so, yeah, sorry for going on another tangent there. But um, <laughs> learning about Palestine's existence, both before 1948, 1917, um, and particularly how it accepted Jewish refugees uh, with open arms prior to those years um, and had some semblance of freedom of religion in the region, um, it really helps dispel like the racism and Orientalism behind the myths that Palestine is just another backward society in West Asia and just needs to be more governed by more enlightened folks from Europe or whatever. Um, like if you look at Palestinian and non-Jewish, uh, non-Palestinian Jewish populations in the area by year, like you can see a sudden jump, like almost exponentially, both in 1917, 48 and 67, um, all landmark years in the UN essentially determining um, settling in the region. Um, and I'd say that the establishment of the state of Israel came with like displacement and or killing of about, I don't know, like hundreds of thousands of Palestinians at the very least. And then obviously intent, intentional violence upon millions as well. Um, I'd say that all these facts um, also coupled with like the amount of genocidal rhetoric, financial commitment and other things needed from the British government in order to bring this from a fringe idea within Jewish communities toward the mainstream as well as like an explicit desire from like several European countries to basically rid, rid themselves of their Jewish populations. Um, it's, it pre pretty effectively like summarizes all the contradictions and inherent violence to this ideology. Um, this is all really too much for me to ignore myself in good conscience and ultimately led me to take a position as an anti-Zionist. Um, it should also be noted, like, just one, like, PS type of thing. Like, Britain only started, like, materially backing, like, this, like, fringe Zionist movement. Like, the Christian government of Britain, once the Ottoman Empire fell, um, and they saw an opportunity to essentially control the region and mainly, like, the Suez Canal. Like, that's that's literally the only reason why things, like, really accelerated with all this. And, yeah, I just feel like once confronted with all these facts and you develop an understanding that we're not permanently living under the conditions that we have to live under, it can take you toward a straightforward conclusion. And that's how I got here. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I am so impressed and like blown away just because it is it, really hard to self-educate about this. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. like, can you tell us more about like the process of even investigating places to get this information when there's so much Zionist rhetoric and propaganda out there? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, like Zionism and things that uphold uh, Zionism are just like very prevalent throughout everything that we encounter, especially in the U.S. as um, a state that really implicitly ties its support to Israel's existence. Um, so in short, um, I'd say my self-education began because I felt compelled to do that work. And then I would say that I was just looking for as many sources as possible. Like they are out there, but you definitely have to search a little bit more specifically for things. Um, so I'll just give like, I guess like an example of some of the resources that I've gone through that really stuck out to me. Um, so as I mentioned before, the video of that dude from Brooklyn um, kicking people out of their homes halfway across the world. Um, that one's all over Twitter. If you just look up like Jacob from Brooklyn, Shesterah, like it'll it'll pop up somewhere. 
Um, and then also Muhammad Elkerd's appearance on CNN. I'd say that anything that he has to say or has written at length on the topic is very, very uh, fantastic and well succinctly worded about his people and their plight um, and their oppression. Um, some other things that I found, um, there's a YouTube video called uh, Michael Brooks Takes a Question on Israel. Uh, Michael Brooks was a very uh, outspoken person, uh, an activist for just anti-racism and economic justice as well. Um, he unfortunately passed away in I think his like 30s uh, a couple of years ago due to some condition, but uh, someone asked him a question about Israel at some speaking event. And I think that like it's a seven minute video. And I think that he very succinctly lays out all of the dynamics at hand uh, without factoring for anything that will like rile people up, essentially. Um, so that that's a nice little quick one um, for stuff at length. I'd say that um, there's a three part documentary done by Al, Je Al Jazeera um, that in the events leading up to 1948. It's called Al Nakba. Uh, which is Arabic for the uh, catastrophe. Um, and I'm sure you guys know this, but that's the event that the Palestinians call like the culmination of all this, like, uh, um, and the establishment of the Israeli state. Um, another one uh, that is like kind of a quick book. Uh, it's only like 48 pages. It probably takes like a day to knock out at most. Um, this one's uh, very straight to the point in its title. It's called Zionist Colonialism in Palestine. Um, it's by Fayez Isaiah. Sorry if I butchered their name, um, but it was written back in 1967, which dispels like another myth that we kind of hear about is that like anti-Zionists are only like popping up now because of recent events or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Israel's always had these explicit goals of what it's going to do. Like there's a map outlaid of what they proposed uh, to the UN and to Britain as like their desired territories in the region um, that include like the entirety of Jordan, the entirety of Lebanon, parts of Syria, parts of Egypt and I think this better helps contextualize both the land that they hold presently, um, the destroying of neighborhoods presently as well, uh, forced evictions or ethnic displacement, ethnic cleansing, um, or just like larger uh, military actions from the IDF, such as like the uh, invasion of Beirut, uh, their annexation of the Golan Heights, um, what else, the bombing of Damascus um, in Syria and their, es their continued escalation and instigation to kind of further ferment their civil war that's going on right now. Um, again, just a ton of things that don't really see like a, a bit of daylight in our media today um, that are extremely important. Um, so that book is very fantastic and a quick and easy read. Um, and it's easy to find the PDF online. Um, and then I'd say the last, PDF. yes, love a great PDF. Um, the last recommendation is more generic. Um, there's another author called Elon Pape um, who he wrote several books on Zionism. Um, I haven't read any of them fr yet, frankly. Um, they're all on my list, but I've watched a ton of lectures and discussions that he's had on YouTube. Um, he's a former Israeli who literally served in the IDF and is now an expatriate due to a pretty interesting story. Um, so, I mean, he obviously saw the violence of Zionism in the IDF firsthand um, and eventually decided to teach at the University of Haifa um, about the history of Zionism and where it places us in history today uh, to a bunch of students in Israel. Um, oh, he was actually, he actually wound up being forced out of the school and eventually the state of Israel itself. Um, but on his way out, because of how popular his class was and how much students like did resonate with him, he was handed an award uh, for being the most prestigious professor in the university on his way out. So oh. that, that guy, he's awesome. <laughs> That's tea. 
yeah. So those are those are like just a few of the resources that I've read on. Um, I, I'd be happy to provide more if anyone wants to like reach out to me after the show or whatever. Ooh, yay! Love that. Oh my god, thank you for that. That is like so mm-hmm. comprehensive. I feel like something that was super difficult for me when I was starting my own journey was just like where to begin and like mm-hmm. what to read that wasn't going to be like anti-semitic but also Mm -hmm. would like provide facts and just be like truth telling um and I like had to rely on articles that people sent me until I like started figuring out like okay like these news outlets or these social media accounts can like lead me in the right direction so I think like having a set of resources is so helpful and that Michael Brooks video I remember when you sent me that and it is really so good um we're gonna include some of the sources that have been shared with us in our weekly newsletter that goes out after the show or the weekend um but yeah like evan said if you want to reach out to him after the show sounds like you should yes please feel free um this isn't something where i'm trying to you know, like shout to whoever and say like, this is what you should think. And this is, this is why or whatever. No, I want to give you the resources that frankly, I wasn't exposed to growing up so that you can come to your own conclusions as well. Because the way that we're taught under our present education system is more just a lot of memorization and repetition. It's not really letting things sink in and coming and critically thinking ourselves and coming towards all these things. So I definitely think like a more liberatory practice within education is something that's necessary here, obviously. Yes. Okay. So if you want to hear more about Evan's sources or talk to Evan more about that, reach out to him after you listen to this. Um, I wanted to talk about, like, I, I heard you talk about being at Jewish sleepaway camp, which I think is like such a specific experience that admittedly, like I never had, but I definitely like, understand the very specific vibe and community that comes with like a Jewish sleepaway camp experience um and so I'm curious like how your sort of shift to being an anti-Zionist Jew has maybe impacted your relationships with like friends from sleepaway camps or with your loved ones in general and just like what your comfortability around expressing your beliefs is yeah yeah that's a fantastic question because I think that you know all of us have gone through that uh, to some extent because it's not really an easy leap to make it's not the comfortable one to make you know that uh, you're going to upset some people and some people you might hold close to your heart um, and that never feels good Um, so definitely appreciate you asking that question um I'd say that my comfortability talking about Zionism really does depend who I'm talking to. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of someone who's like really an ardent Zionist, like I do feel free in expressing my beliefs pretty unabashedly. Um, when speaking with those in like the white Jewish community here, it can definitely sometimes be very difficult uh, to broach this conversation um, because of how dug in people are with how they feel on this. Um, and it's because like Zionism has very broad institutional and systemic support within the American Jew- Jewish community, as you guys both know. Um, and this makes it discuss even discussing it just like really, really difficult to broach. Um, there's only really like two people, honestly, within my family that I feel like fully comfortable talking about Zionism with, like fully off cuff, like, and you know, I have a family of several people. For it to only be two is definitely upsetting. Um, and I hope that list grows one day. Um, 
but and, and I mean, this all does seem very discouraging. But at the same time, like there is a glimpse of hope. Like um, there's a poll that came out recently that uh, a quarter of young American Jews like currently see Israel as an apartheid state. Um, and that's like a glimpse of hope that we can really eventually further this dialogue and grappling with the history of Zionism within, within Jewish circles here and hopefully begin to enact some change and develop some like more collective consciousness on this issue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for being comfortable enough to come on and talk to us. Like, I think that Jesse and I definitely know firsthand that like, there are like, I mean, not physical risks, but like risks in relation to our relationships and also like financial security mm -hmm. and maybe even physical risks associated with like being vocally an anti-Zionist Jew. And so like, yeah, I, I think that we want to recognize that it's it's not easy and we really appreciate you like having the desire to come and talk with us and be open. Of course, yeah. And, um, sorry, yeah, no, and that's why I really appreciate you guys giving me this space because like if it weren't for other uh, Jews with the courage to speak up, I don't know if I would have myself. So I definitely feel that it's part of just kind of moving the chain and passing it along in hopes of other people stepping up as well. Yeah, yeah, I, it reminds me of something that you were saying when you were talking about the, like, sources that really helped you, and you mentioned, like, reading ones from, like, 1967, like, being impactful, because it was like, this has always existed, mm -hmm. and these are not new, like, anti-Zionism didn't, like, just start happening as a reaction to Israel, or as, like, a form of anti-Semitism, and, like, right. I think that that's something that was super super impactful for me to realize too to like meet like elder anti-zionist jews and like read anti-zionist jewish literature like written by anti-zionist jewish people like long before israel existed and then even like right after the inception like when things were still very new mm -hmm. um and so I think that that's like always sort of a nice place to find resources. Cause for me, I found that very comforting to sort of be like, okay, like this isn't revolutionary. Like people have been thinking that this is sort of a problematic idea. Um, and we're just ushering it into this new generation. Right. And I, I do want to add to that. That was be beautiful and brilliant. Um, I do want to add to that. Like um, when a lot of like, I feel like, if you're Jewish and you start to undergo like this type of research and like self-education, it's very easy to, if you're doing this on your own to run into something where you get concerned, like, Oh, there's a ton of anti-Semitism within this. I don't really know about this source. Like this seems a little bit suspect to me. So, you know, having a ton of sources within the Jewish community definitely helps mm -hmm. kind of quell those fears um, and helps get you toward a better understanding. Because I remember there was certainly a point where I was running into that, um, and it's very conflicting because like so much of what you see on the surface level is inherently very problematic and appears to be wrong. But it's like if you're running into something that's also wrong, that kind of just deters you from the thing entirely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would definitely say that any Jewish anti-Zionist work was extremely helpful to me in furthering my understanding of things. Yeah, definitely. That's true. Yeah. So in, in that spirit, you know, talking, thinking about anti-Semitism, thinking about the way anti-Zionism is talked about, do you have one myth you would like to dispel about anti-Zionism 
And then do you have one affirmation you'd like to leave fellow Jewish anti-Zionists with? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely snuck in some myths beforehand, so I could add another one here <laughs> um, for free. Um, I think that I'd say like the one myth that I really want to hammer home and hammer, hammer home and dispel here is like the equivalence of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Um, first off, I think that this is one that is very popularly evoked uh, specifically because Israel has plainly lost the moral argument uh, when discussing the ideology and actions that they have. Um, there, there's no real justification for that. So it's definitely, it's a f sort of flailing from people trying to attempt, attempt to defend things and just quell conversations entirely. Um, additionally, like this notion that if you're anti-Zionist, you must be an anti-Semite is like itself rooted in anti-Semitism because mm -hmm. Jews are not an ideological monolith. They're not a monolith in any way. There's no specific culture to Judaism. There's no correct way um, in, in this sense of Judaism. Um, and we see like this in particular with how like Zionism often does erase like Jews of color and black Jews, like in particular, like Zionism definitely just upholds like a lot of like white normative things, um, if, of that nature. Um, and like to get back to the point, like you don't need to like colonize Palestine or any land or dispossess people in order to be a Jew, let alone endorse it. Like that doesn't validate you being a Jew in any way, shape or form. Um, this also kind of stems from another myth um, that this is like a religious conflict and everything happening is because of religion. Um, but I mean, I, I alluded to it before here, but when you examine like the material reality and the history of Zionism in the Israeli state, like I think it's a little bit easier to see that this has a lot more to do with like racism, settler colonialism, um, ethnic cleansing and nothing really to like do with religion um, as the at the forefront of things uh, the only thing that I can really like objectively interpret as like a religious dynamic and all this is probably like very widespread Islamophobia and, and those type of beliefs and the general like dehumanization of Arabs because of the area that they live in and like obviously they try this to justify what they're doing again um, so that's the myth that I would probably want to hammer home most to people and try to get people to see through. Um, because I think that once that one's gone in particular, it's a lot easier to continue to do the reading and the research. Um, Cause I mean, nobody wants to see themselves as a bigot in any way, shape or form, as long as you have a good conscience. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a very important hurdle. And then as for an affirmation, um, I'd say the one I'd like to give to fellow anti-Zionist Jews or any other Jew who's just earnestly listening here um, or anybody earnestly engaging here is just to keep believing, uh, keep believing in the world, keep believing in the good of people. Um, I'd say a good example is my father. Uh, he was a very staunch supporter of Israel. And like, I remember growing up, like any conflict uh, involving Israel, he would always tell me it's due to religion and anti-Semitism, ironically. Um, but now, I mean, he's doing the learning, like anything that I send him, he'll read and engage with and we'll, converse about it he'll ask questions and all that um so that that always just means the world to me because it really does show that anybody with like really getting in tune with themselves and like trusting others and taking that leap can really begin to embark on a very fulfilling um journey um so yeah i would just say keep believing and don't ever think like your pursuit of truth and justice isn't worth it because i mean you guys, you guys got touched on this as like a Jewish belief uh, last month, but like, you know, even if things like don't work out, fighting for the humanity of oppressed peoples is always worth it. Like there, there's no risk too great for that. Yes. Okay. 
both of those answers were so beautiful just like so succinct so spot on I yeah 100% I love all of that I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us um thank you I really, yeah. yeah I just I love the language that you use and I as someone who knows you personally and like has seen like the journey that you've gone on and also like gotten like little texts about your dad and what his reaction <laughs> is and as it changes it's just like yeah it is really moving to see someone who is an older Jewish American like shift their beliefs because someone that they care about is asking them to reconsider and sending sources and for me it really like gives me hope in love and relationships and the fact that like people have the capacity to change no matter where they're at in their life and I think that that's really powerful and I think it can feel like that's not the case a lot of the time so thank you for that reminder Um, And thank you so much for coming on our live stream podcast situation today. It was so nice to be able to kick off this series with you and you have so much wisdom. Like I really don't, if I had your memory and brain and was able to remember like history and facts the way that you do, I feel like I would be shutting people down left and right because you just have so many good tidbits to offer and it's yeah just truly an honor that you were able to come on and share them with us and anyone who is listening yeah Yeah. thank you for being here of course yeah and again thank you guys for having me on um I will say though like for as as smart as I apparently came off to you um (laughs) (laughs) like there's so many things and it's always you're trying to remember this like one little thing to like you know, like shut someone down or whatever. But it's also like, it's important to remember, like, this isn't like, like, it's not about trying to win a debate. Um, It's about trying to, you know, engage with people from a place of like love and compassion and trying to just get them to see your perspective. And, you know, wherever it goes from there, it goes from there. And I think that that gets lost so many times uh, due to like, you know, how much debate really is encouraged and and split Mm -hmm. minds are encouraged. Um, So yeah, I would say that's, I mean, I guess that's an extra piece of advice or a tidbit or whatever (laughs) um, that I would give. But again, thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, I appreciate you guys so much for what you do. Um, You guys are huge role models to me for for everything that you guys do with making matches and honestly everything in your life. Thanks, Evan. That's so sweet. I mean it. Thank you. What a great first session. Um, that That's what we have for y'all today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Evan Cole share with us, um, be in conversation with us about his anti-Zionist Jewish journey. Um, we'll put like links to his social media in the podcast notes if you're not watching this on Instagram so that you can reach out if you'd like to. We'll have any sources that he shared during the episode in our newsletter so if you want them you should sign up for our mailing list um come back next week for our next august session where we're going to be talking to zohar gitlis who wrote an incredible thesis on just labor zionism and their journey from growing up in the labor zionist movement to more anti-zionist values um we're super excited about that. That sounds so. amazing. Yeah, that's an incredible topic, honestly. 
because there, yeah, there's so no. much that we get said about like labor liberal progressive whatever zionism and all that so yeah you would not to go off on a tangent but you would love her thesis it's incredible i'm not trying to like get people hyped up next week but also like yeah you should be really excited like oh so so good no this so is good. this is something worth hyping up i can tell yeah yeah so good um so yeah join us next week you don't want to miss it evan said it's worth hyping up um and yeah shout out to nate neighbor on instagram for our podcast music if you're listening to this on podcast form and if you're on instagram um go listen to us in podcast format later i'll it'll be out in a second or two more like 10 minutes or something i think that's all did i miss anything no that was amazing thank you so much evan again really i just sat here and learned so much so thank you thank you so much and no it's truly like incredible that i was able to teach you guys stuff because you guys teach me something every day so yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks y'all thanks for everyone who watched have a good night and we'll see you next week later Bye. bye